Presbyterian Church. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at Psalm 1. Today, we'll be looking at Psalm 2. And as we come to the book of Psalms, Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 really guide and shape how we should be reading the whole Psalter, how we should be reading all those 150 Psalms. So please have your Bibles open to today's passage. We'll be looking at Psalm 2 together, and I'll be reading that out for us now. So that's Psalm 2, and this is God's Word. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree, he said to me. You are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you and praise you for your living and active word. Father, we pray that through our time together, by your spirit, you would be encouraging and changing us. Father, I pray, bless the preparation I have done and anoint me for this task of preaching your word. Uh, Father, we pray through the preaching of your word this morning, your name would be glorified and praised. Uh, we pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, perhaps like me, you've heard that as a society, we are on a slippery slope. That the Christian ethos is being pushed further and further out of our society. Australia is now marching to a different beat, a different drum, rather than the Christian values and morals that once informed our nation. Now, when did society start marching to a different beat, a different drum? Now, some think it's the 1960s with the rise of the sexual revolution. However, I'm more inclined to agree with Reverend Dr. Peter Barnes, our moderator general of the Australian Presbyterian Church, who suggests that Australia started changing when we no longer saw the Bible as important. When we no longer saw God as important. When did this happen? Oh, it started in the 19th century. It started in our Bible colleges. When academics started teaching pastors that the Bible was not important. That the Bible is just like every other book. It's written by human authors with different interpretations, with different conclusions that can be drawn. The academics taught pastors. And then pastors came to Australia. And it was these pastors that taught our congregations that God's word is not true. 
And as a consequence, soon society would forget that God's word is not important. They would forget that God is their king. Peter Barnes says that this movement, known formally as biblical criticism, is a greater upheaval than the Reformation. Now, friends, if we think of the Reformation as reclaiming God's word, then biblical criticism is the abandoning of God's word. And it's a greater upheaval because he suggests that biblical criticism has caused this slippery slope. And he does not know where we are in this slippery slope. Are we in the middle? Are we at the end? Or are we somewhere in the beginning? (coughs) Our friends, wherever we are, we know that we are on the slippery slope now. We see these impacts today in the abandoning of Christianity in our own Australian context. Uh, It's not in the rise of the sexual revolution that led to the decline of Christian churches. The sexual revolution came as a wave. It took over our society because we no longer valued the Bible. We no longer saw God as our king. And when a nation forgets that God is king, this then leads to rebellion. It leads to a turning away from God. A turning away from his word. Our last fortnight in Psalm 1, the psalmist addressed the individual. And in a nutshell, he asked us, where are we standing? Are we counted among the righteous? Or are we walking in the way of the godless? And someone encouraged each of us to find refuge in God, in his word. To know that wisdom and life are found in God's word and not in the things of this world. Here in Psalm 2, we now see an expansion of this. We see this in a broader interplay between the nation and God. And here in Psalm 2, there is a call for the nation, not just the individual, to acknowledge and find refuge in God through God's King. The main focus of Psalm 2, friends, is seek God and His King. Seek God and His King. And I have four points today that we'll be working from. And they all start with the letter R. First, the rebellion. Second, the response. Third, the regent. And fourth, the reckoning. The rebellion, the response, the regent, the reckoning. Let's start with that first point, shall we? Point number one, the rebellion. Let's have a look at verses one to three, which says... Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Now, it's interesting that the same word Hagar that was used in Psalm 1 to mean meditate, that the righteous are told to meditate on God's word, is translated here in Psalm 2 as plot. Meaning that the nations are scheming through careful meditation how they might oppose God and his anointed. 
So therefore, these plans are not a mishmash of ideas, but plans that are years, perhaps decades in the making. Plans to overthrow God and his rule. It gives me, gives for us greater weight the idea that the decline of Christendom in the Western world started in the 19th century. The small seed planted, God's word is not true, has today become a great tree and is sprouting all types of fruit. Life is not to be valued. Society defines marriage. Girls are boys and boys are girls. Where are we in this spiral? Where are we in this slippery slope? I don't know. What other fruit will be produced? I don't know. But look at our passage. As the nation's plotting scheme, the psalmist appears unconcerned. He says, why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? And not that there is surprise in this question. Why? Why is the psalmist unconcerned? Why is he surprised? Because he finds it funny. He finds it funny that earthly kings and rulers are trying to conspire against the one who sits in heaven. The psalmist is perhaps thinking, how could the nations overthrow God? It would be like an ant trying to overthrow an elephant. It just can't happen. That ant would just be squashed. And that's what the psalmist is thinking. These kings will just be crushed by God. Now these kings, these rulers, they plot, they meditate, they counsel against God and his anointed. Now let me ask, who is God's anointed? Uh, God's anointed is his representative, his regent, if you will. In the context of the psalmist, this is the king. Acts 4.25 says this was David. However, it is really any of God's kings. It's any of David's descendants. And who is the one that sits on David's throne now? Well, it's Jesus. It's God's anointed. It's God's Messiah. Psalm 2, in many ways, is a messianic psalm. And while David and his descendants were to exercise God's rule, Jesus does this perfectly. Psalm 2 finds its fulfillment in Jesus. Coming back to our passage. So those of the earth, these kings, these rulers, they stand in and seek to oppose God and his anointed. And how do they seek to oppose God? By breaking free of their bonds, their shackles. Now what does this mean? Uh, we know that the, David, that the nations that David conquered, he killed many, but others he made his servants. Uh, the word in 2 Samuel 8 to describe the nations that were in David's service is the Hebrew word heved, which can mean servant or subject, but it can also mean slave or bondservant. That these nations David conquered have become his slaves. They are bound to him. They are to serve him. They are to obey him. They are to pay tribute to him. But these nations don't want that. They don't want to be under David's rule. They don't want to be under God's rule. So they rebel. And this rebellion was always going to happen. 
Israel were told at the end of Joshua to drive out the nations before them. But if they did not, they would, come, they would become a thorn in their side and the nations would trap and ensnare Israel. Now, how did the nations do this? How did the nations trap and ensnare Israel? Well, we clearly see this with Solomon and his descendants. Led away, led astray by foreign gods. Solomon's descendants conquered in war until eventually Israel were cast out and driven into exile. Now, we are no different. If we aren't living as God is our king, those around us will coerce us to follow the things of this world. To have our thinking shaped not by God, but by the things of this world, the ideas around us. Now, we ourselves will fall prey to following the idols of our world. Money, power, sex, our work, our family our popularity, our image. And we ourselves are in wars now. We can see that we are losing ground. We have lost ground in the definition of marriage. We have lost ground in the value of life. Where else are we about to lose ground? And David, as he sees this, sees the nations conspiring, he thinks that what the nations are doing is a joke, and it is, but it's also a warning. Friends, here is a warning for us right now. The nations are plotting. The nations are conspiring. If we don't see God as our king, we, like Israel, will fall for their plots. However, if we see God as our king, then these plots will be done in vain. It will just be hallowed talk and wishful thinking. It's only because David trusts God as king and sees that, and because of that, he sees that their plots are done in vain. He goes, God is in control. And if God is in control, which nation can stand? Look now at how David describes this through God's perspective. And this brings us to our second point. Point two, the response. Verses four to six. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Are the kings of the earth plot? But God's response is laughter. He is laughing at the nations. Uh, this laughter is trying to communicate that these nations, they can't oppose God. It is God Almighty who installs kings. It is God Almighty who brings down kings. It was not David who conquered the nations. It was God. So God responds to these rebellious nations with anger. And we read that his response will terrify them. His wrath will come upon them. This is saying that God will judge them. Verse 6 says, God has anointed his king on Zion, his holy mountain. 
Zion was Jerusalem. It was the capital city where the king lived. It was also in Jerusalem where the Lord had placed his name. It was where the temple was built. This is saying that God has installed his king in Jerusalem. He has placed his name in Jerusalem. How can the nation seek to challenge God and the king he's established? Oh, they can't. For the Lord laughs. Now, now this king of Israel was to exercise God's rule. He was God's established king. Look at how God describes the one who he has appointed. And this leads us to our third point. A point three, the regent. Our God's anointed was not a king established on his own merits, but was made king solely by God's grace. And this king was to represent God, to carry out God's rule and God's command. He was God's representative. He was God's regent. And look what God says of him. The psalmist says, this is the Lord's decree. The Lord speaks to his regent, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Now the psalmist says, you are my son and I have become your father. Uh, what is this communicating? This is communicating the close relationship that the Lord would have with the kings of Judah. For it would be through the kings that God would act. And it was the king's responsibility to lead the nation in accordance with God's ways. As we look through the Kings 1 and 2, these books were an account of the king's response to the Lord. The question is, would they follow in the sins of their fathers? Or were they to walk in the path of their father, David, who loved the Lord and would not turn to the left or to the right? Here in our passage, the Lord is saying to the king, his regent, if you follow my ways, I will bless you. I will make the nations your inheritance. I will be with you and the nations will not stand. Now, if we look at verses 8 and 9, it's a promise. It's God's promise to make his regent a ruler over nations. That he will rule with power. But as we look at this narrative in 1 and 2 Kings unfolding of these kings, these kings of Judah, we don't see this happening. We don't see this promise being fulfilled. Uh, yes, we may get a glimpse of this promise being fulfilled in Solomon. But even Solomon's reign did not include conquest. Our Solomon actually provoked God to anger. And the kingdom was taken away from him. It was divided. And so since Solomon, there has been a divided kingdom. The kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel. This promise, though, does have fulfillment. It has fulfillment in the Lord Jesus. Our God the Father declares that when Jesus is baptized, what do we read? That the heavens were torn open and the Spirit descended on him and a voice echoed, this 
is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. It is for this reason, friends, that we see Psalm 2, not just a psalm for the kings of Judah, but a psalm that finds fulfillment in Jesus. It is a messianic psalm. For it is in Jesus, God's king, that God's rule is truly exercised. For in Jesus, the nations do become his heritage, and the ends of the earth do become his possession. The gospel message is a message that Jesus is king, that Jesus is restoring the kingdom. Uh, Israel looked forward in the Messiah to the restoration of the kingdom. Jesus preached, the kingdom is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The message of the gospel is that the king has come and he will make the nations his heritage. He is going to the ends of the earth to claim his possession. And how is our king? How is Jesus doing this? Well, he's doing it with a rod of iron. He is dashing the nations to pieces. This rod of iron is the proclamation of the gospel. It is in the gospel, it is in this proclamation that the king has come and has come to reclaim the world. That's the gospel message. But who is Jesus reclaiming the world from? He's reclaiming it from the devil, the prince of this world, who through his scheming, through his plotting, has deceived the world. The devil makes the world rebel and delve into sin. The devil tells humanity, he tells us lies. He tells us that greater happiness can be found if you reject God, if you reject God as your king. And as a nation, we believe those lies. The question is, though, where has, how has Jesus defeated Satan? Where did this happen? Well, Jesus overthrows the devil, defeats the powers of Satan, defeats the power of sin. Jesus defeats this at the cross. On the cross, Jesus pays the penalty of sin. On the cross, he disarms the power of sin. In the resurrection, Jesus then defeats death. He defeats sin. Jesus defeats Satan. And it's through this message, friends, that Jesus has conquered sin and conquered death through the cross. This is the message to be proclaimed. The gospel is Jesus' rod of iron. And the proclamation of the gospel is breaking stony hearts. And it is this message that is rescuing sinners out of darkness. And who is to go and declare this message? Well, it's us. It's the church. We, we are to declare Christ. And we have to do this, we're told, with teaching and warning. Our Paul says in Colossians that we proclaim Christ with warning and teaching. 
as he proclaims the gospel. He does this by warning them about false teachers and the deceivers of the day. He warns the saints that there are powers at work. Powers that will try and disarm you. Powers that will try and coerce you. Powers that will try and influence you and deceive you away from Christ. He warns them that there are ideologies out there that will preach a false gospel. Friends, I mentioned cultural Marxism last fortnight, first and foremost to equip you, to warn you that there are worldviews out there that are seeking to oppose Christ. We are surrounded by different religions, different ideologies which are presenting a false gospel. A cultural Marxism is a false gospel which preaches and proclaims a different gospel to that of Christ's gospel. And worldviews like cultural Marxism will seek to do away with Christ and his church. That slogan, love is love, is a false gospel. For if we really do love, then we are to preach the whole gospel. And this means warning. This means teaching. We are to promote Christ. We are to teach Christ and to proclaim the whole gospel. And warning and teaching is exactly what we see in our next point. Point four, the reckoning. Now friends, the Lord's reckoning is the Lord's judgment. Look at verses 10 to 12. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed, blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now the Lord's judgment is condemnation for those outside of Christ. And it's blessing for those in Christ. The psalmist is saying to the nations, he is saying to us a warning. He warns them and says, I have set up my anointed. This is Jesus. And he comes with a rod of iron to claim his inheritance. And when he comes, Humble yourselves. Repent from the wrong you are doing. Repent from your scheming. Serve the Lord. Turn to Jesus. Stop living. Stop living after the things of this world. Stop living as yourself as king. Come to Jesus. For he is a good king. But if you don't, then you will be under his judgment. Psalm 1 reminded us last fortnight that this is a twofold judgment. There is a judgment now and a judgment to come. And the judgment now will be instability. The judgment now will be looking for redemptive solutions outside of Christ, using band-aids rather than finding solutions that will work, trying to search for meaning outside of Christ and his rule. I don't know where we are in this slippery slope. But if history is anything to go by, I wonder if we're heading to a period before the Great Awakening. Before 
the Great Awakening, which was pioneered by Whitfield in the 18th century. Uh, let me read from Whitfield's biography written by Kurt Smith and the state of England in the 18th century. Kurt quotes firstly from J.C. Ryle and said, From the year 1700 till about the era of the French Revolution, England seemed barren of all that is good. Christianity seemed to lie as one dead, insomuch that you might say, she is dead. Morality, however much exalted in the pulpits, was thoroughly trampled underfoot in the streets. There was darkness in high places and darkness in low places, darkness in the court, the camp, the parliament, and the bar, darkness in country and darkness in town, darkness among rich and darkness among poor, a gross, thick, religious, and moral darkness, a darkness that might be felt. Smith would go on to say that England was a culture swallowed up in sexual immorality, a place where gin consumption was unrestrained, where, where the English had become cruel and inhuman, and the government was filled with impurity, thievery, corruption, and deception. Now, England was lost. They had rejected the Bible. They had rejected and forgotten that God was their king. Uh, where are we in the slippery slope? I don't know. How long do we look like a modern day 18th century England? I don't know. And I pray it doesn't happen. But if history is to repeat itself, then maybe we are heading that direction. My friends, this is a warning to us not to come under God's judgment. For he will hand us over to our sin. And of course there is final judgment, where those who are not in Christ will be condemned fully when he returns. However, if we repent, oh, this is the other side to God's judgment. Those who repent, those who kiss the Son, this means those who have humbled themselves the text is literally saying those who have kissed the son's feet are they. They who trust Jesus will find blessing. If we humble ourselves and walk in the ways of Jesus, we will find life. We will find comfort. When we see that God is king, when we see that his word is authoritative, then we will find refuge in God. We will find comfort in his word. In God's word, friends, we find promises. We find words of comfort. We will know through God's word how to live in this broken world. We will be comforted in Christ. Comforted with the promises that he has spoken about. We will be comforted as God's adopted children. We will have that close relationship with the Father made possible through Jesus. Friends, it's only in Christ that we will find refuge. It's only in Him that we will find true comfort, both in how to live now in this broken world, but also find comfort in the promises that Christ has attained for us, the gift of eternal life. So as we close Cornerstone, where are we?
Where are you? And where is Jesus? Is Jesus your king? Or are you with the nations? Rebelling against Jesus. And I don't even mean overtly rebelling. But I'm asking you to reflect. Is Jesus your king? Is he your king in all areas of life? Is Jesus your king at work? At school? In your family? If he is not, then something else is your king. Something else is ruling that sphere of your life and it isn't Jesus. Jesus' reign and rule is being proclaimed now. He is making the earth and the nations his inheritance now. Uh, The warning has gone out, friends. Will you kiss the sun? Will you serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling? Or is your path leading to destruction? Are you rebelling against God? Are you rebelling against God's kingdom? Are you rebelling against Jesus? Friends, if we want society to change, if we want to see Christian values seen again in our society, it starts with us. If we want revival to be seen in our city, revival needs to start with us. It needs to start with the church. Whitfield, that great evangelist from the 18th century, warned us about our sin. When he preached, he preached against sin. He preached against morality. He warned the masses about their corruption. And when he spoke to the masses, he spoke of their need for Christ. That salvation is found in him and in him alone. And Whitfield started this, his great proclamation with the church. If we want revival, friends, we need to start here at church. We need to reclaim that God, we need to reclaim that God is king. And we need to live that in every facet of our life. We need to seek God and follow him. And that means that Jesus needs to be king in all areas of our life. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, you are king of kings and lord of lords. Lord Jesus, we confess that we do not always live this out in our life. But we pray, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would live in accordance with your ways. Change us, we pray, for your glory. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Psalm 2. And we thank you for how in Jesus you are bringing the nations to yourself. Uh, We pray, Lord, that as the gospel goes out, we pray, start here in the church. Help us to know you more intimately. Help us to know that Jesus is our Lord and King. And we pray, Lord, that as we live this out in our life, as we show this to those around us, we pray that others would come to this knowledge also. Our Lord, we pray for revival in our city. And we pray, start with us. To Christ be all the glory and praise. Amen. Thank you, Susan.
won't you stand and join with us as we sing about Jesus, who is our Messiah, and how our only hope is through him. <laughs> 